April 27, 2014, Brussels, Belgium, and we're going to be looking at most of the Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 32, and focusing on having that reciprocation with Krishna. We were talking a little earlier about how do we know that we're connected with Krishna. Can everyone here understand English? Yes? So, so. Huh? Do you have anyone to translate for you? Not from English or English. Hmm? Okay. Okay. Anyone set up some proper translation? Huh? He'll translate. Okay. Okay. And with the rest of you, if I if I say something that you don't understand, just will you ask me? Don't just sit there thinking I said something crazy. But actually, is that a deal? Do we have a deal? Do we have an agreement? Everybody agrees. Okay. And with you or translating, if I go too fast, or if I say something you don't understand, just stop me, and I'll do my best to make it clear. Does that, everybody agree? Yes? All right. So, we sometimes find in spiritual life that we feel like we're doing everything that we can in order to really experience the spiritual but yet, it may seem that there's nothing coming back to us. You think, okay, I'm, I'm doing my best, I'm, I'm following what I'm supposed to follow, I'm working really hard, I'm, I'm giving everything, and it's just sort of empty. It's just it seems so, it's sort of dry. Or we may find that we have some moments when everything is sweet, some little glimpses, little amounts of time when there's like, woo, that was really special. (laughs) But we try to hold on to them or we try to make them bigger in time and and experience and we can't. They seem to, they come to us and then they go. And we also see that different spiritual practitioners have different experiences. So we may find that Many people are taking to the spiritual path, and some of them very quickly and very amazing ways get incredible reciprocation and experience, whereas other people, it may not be like that. So this is quite confusing. And we're thinking, all right, well, if this is a genuine spiritual process that I'm in, then it should work, (laughs) which is a reasonable assumption. And that I should get, if I put in, then I should get something back. And I should get something back in a way that I expect. So we're going to go to the story of Krishna and his beloveds. So we have two nice paintings. This temple is very opulent and it has these original oil paintings. So we have two nice paintings on that wall of Krishna and Radha. They're standing by a tree, and they're sitting under a tree. So Krishna has many, many, many beloveds. Because he's God, 
he's able to have many beloveds and be with each of them as if they were his only. In this world, a person is, has a hard time doing that with one beloved. A man has a hard time keeping one woman happy, a woman has a hard time keeping one man happy, but Krishna can keep an unlimited number of people happy. So who are these beloveds of Krishna? Uh, some of them, of course, are eternally in that position, and some of them, by the practice of spiritual life in the material world, come to that position, in which, at which time they become uh, as the eternal associates. So there's many routes by which they can take, but we're going to look particularly at, at one route. So there were some great sages at the time that Krishna appeared on earth millions of years ago as Lord Ramachandra. And these sages seeing Ram, they experienced love of God. And they experienced love of God in this very particular flavor that they wanted to be the wives of God. They wanted to be his beloved. But at that, in that incarnation, Ram had the vow, I'm only going to have one queen, although it was quite common even socially at that time for a king to have more than one queen. He said, I'm only going to have one. If my, even if my queen dies, I will not remarry. And so he communicated to these sages, if you want to be my beloved, you have to come again when I incarnate as Krishna, because as Krishna, then I have so many uh, loved ones. So that was a long span of time in terms of earth calculation. Now, generally, when one reincarnates, there's not millions of years in between one incarnation and another. Generally, when, when what happens, what we call death, which basically means that we depart from this body, there's generally some brief interlude before we then enter another body. But these sages, they had to wait exactly how they waited. Did they wait as sages or did they wait on some other planet or it's not very clear. But they had to wait millions of years before they could appear on the earth as young women in the cowherd village of Vrindavan and become Krishna's gopis or cowherd maidens. So they had a very long time between seeing Ram and experiencing this divine spiritual love of God in that particular relationship, that what's called in Christianity bridal ecstasy, and then being able to experience it with Krishna. And then, of course, they appeared in Vrindavan, and again there was some weight that Krishna said to them at one point, uh, yes, uh, we will experience this relationship in a year. And then he played on his flute. And when Krishna played on his flute, the flute sounds, it's explained in the Gopal Champu, of Jiva Goswami, the flute sounds like a human voice calling their name. It doesn't sound like an ordinary flute of this world. In fact, the flute is actually alive. And each of these young gopis, they heard, oh, Krishna's calling me now to dance with him. So after so many millions and millions of years of waiting, now we're going to dance with Krishna in the forest. So they came, and when they came, uh, Krishna says to them, what are you doing here? Why, why have you come in the middle of the night? Each of them uh, came alone. And then they all came. They were all there together. What, what, why have you come here in the middle of the night? It's very dangerous. Young girls shouldn't be out alone in the middle of the night. And in those days in the forest, there were actually tigers and lions in the forest. Uh, now there isn't anymore. 
not a very safe place for you to come. And anyway, what are you doing here? Falling in love with me. You're supposed to be moral people in the world and stay with your families and uh, this is not very proper. And these young gopis said, uh, no, we're not going back. We're not interested in the ordinary morality of the world and the ordinary opinions of the world. And we find this as a recurrent theme in people who devote themselves to spirituality. It doesn't matter in what tradition, it doesn't matter in what country, it doesn't matter in what time of the world. But we find this recurring theme of, I don't care what the cost is. Right? Earlier we were having a discussion with some people today, and right, one person said, well, I, I want to accomplish this, I don't care what it costs me. Of course, that probably isn't actually true. When it comes down to it, generally, when we say I want to accomplish this, and I don't care how much I have to suffer to accomplish it, and generally, once we actually suffer, then we're sorry, and we say, you know, I, what I got wasn't worth the price. But when it comes to spiritual life, it's exactly the opposite. No matter what price you pay, it, it's nothing compared to what you get. That even if you were to sacrifice everything for many, many consecutive lifetimes, that what you get back is so great and so wonderful that you don't feel like you've paid any price at all. And so pe- when people are called like that, they often drop everything. It's, 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 again, it's very, very common. that people will say, forget, forget my status in the world, forget what I need in the world. So these gopis said that, and after all, they've been wanting that for millions of years. They said, no, we're not leaving, we're staying. And so then Krishna and the gopis started uh, to walk through the forest, he was there by the side of each gopi because Krishna is not an ordinary person. He's the Supreme Lord. And as a Supreme Lord, he can exist in unlimited numbers of forms so that each gopi was experiencing, oh, the Lord is only with me. I'm his, I'm his dear, most beloved. So he was by the side of each of these gopis and they were talking and laughing, enjoying each other's company in the, in the moonlight, in the beautiful forests of spiritual fruits and flowers and the river and then you can imagine if you've waited for something, the most perfect thing, for love of God for millions of years, and finally you're in the presence of the Lord. And you're experiencing the height of spiritual love and bliss. So naturally these gopis started to think, wow, now I've gotten everything. Everything I've always wanted, I, I have. How can anyone be luckier than me? And in that sense, they were feeling a little pride. <laughs> I'm, I'm the most fortunate. And as soon as they started to feel like that, all of a sudden, Krishna was gone. Just gone. Just simply disappeared. They looked around and he was gone. So then they started looking for him everywhere in the forest. And as a group, they traveled through the different forests along the river. And they became so absorbed in looking for Krishna that they started to feel as if they were Krishna. Because ultimately, although uh, we're not God, in another sense we are one with God. In another sense we are not different. We're not one with God in the sense that I can't create a planet. I can't put a sun in the sky. You know, and if my finger cuts off, I can't grow a new finger. I'm obviously not God in that sense, but in another sense, as part of God, I am also one with him. And so it is very possible for a spiritually realized person 
to be so overwhelmed with love that it's as if they were they were Krishna themselves. So the gopis started being in this ecstasy, and they started reenacting Krishna's activities as if they themselves were Krishna. They they practically went into a kind of of spiritual madness, one can say, a certain kind of ecstasy where they were absorbed like that. And then again, they started looking for Krishna. Finally, they decided, well, maybe he's he's not going to come back. Or he'll come back when he's ready to come back. There's nothing we can do. We can't force this issue and find him out. So then they just sat down by the river and they started to sing. They started to sing about the glories of Krishna and their love for him. And after some time of singing, he returned. When he returned, then many of the gopis went up to him and held his hand and some waited it at a little distance and gave him a look, you know, what is this? Why, after all this time, did you leave? And then he sat down next to each of them, again, each of them simultaneously. They spread their cloths on the ground, scented with the fragrance of their own body, and Krishna sat next to each of them. And then the gopis were thinking. They thought, uh, what gentleman would send for his beloved only to call to send her back home again? And what gentleman would leave his beloved in the dark forest at the middle of the night? What kind of a lover are you anyway, Krishna? So the same question that's asked by the beginning spiritual practitioners, that, okay, I I got the call. (laughs) I got the call, and I I ran to you, and I gave everything to you, and sometimes you're there for me, and sometimes you're not, and you seem to come and go, and what sort of a relationship is this anyway? And what, what kind of a lover are you? So they were then talking to each other, and they, they said, you know, well, we show him our love without any reservation. Why doesn't he reciprocate with us? And they said, okay, well, we'll ask him, but we're not going to ask him straight. We're going to ask him in a crooked way. We're going to try to trap him. Of course, you can't really do this with God. But anyway, they said we're going to try to trap him and, and get him to answer what he's like without asking him straight out. So... Of course, this is happening between the gopis and Krishna on a very elevated and pure platform. But as spiritual practitioners, we may also have this problem that we think spiritual life is something mechanical. That we think that when we deal, when we engage in spiritual practices, that it's a very mechanical process. Something like, you know, I have a little machine here, and if I push this button, it does one thing. If I push another button, it does another thing. And if it doesn't do those things, then it's broken. I don't, I don't expect it to say, well, no, I don't feel like it today. Or I'm busy, come and push my buttons later. <laughs> right? It, it, either, it, it does what I want, when I want, how I want. And if it doesn't, it's broken. It's rubbish. I throw it away and I get a new one. I remember I was going through some health problems many years ago. and I was regularly seeing a doctor, and after a point I said to the doctor, I said, you know, I've been here 30 times. And I said, if I had, you know, a radio and I brought it in 30 times, we fixed and it still wasn't fixed. He looked at me and said, then you would throw it away, but that's not one of our options. And so we, we may think that God is, is a machine like that. And in fact, there's a number of, of people today who preach a philosophy, who teach a philosophy that the universe is a desire-giving machine that the whole universe is, is really set up like some sort of vending machine, and all you need to do is, is figure out what buttons to push, and push them hard enough, and push them long enough, 
and you get whatever you want out of the machine. Now, it's a fact that Krishna is a desire-fulfilling person. He fulfills the desires of all the living entities. And it's described in the Ishopanishad that he's been fulfilling the desires of everyone since time immemorial. But he's not a machine. He's not a machine. It's much more like a good government, which maybe nobody knows what that is anymore, but like a good government takes care of the needs of all of the citizens. But the government's made up of people or good parents take care of the needs of all their children. So it's something more like that. So if we see the process as mechanical, then we often think of ourselves as a victim. Okay, well, I'm giving so much to a spiritual process. Why don't I just do a couple things and get unlimited bliss? Uh, So the gopis then looked at Krishna and they said, Oh, joy of our eyes, now please give us answers on one topic. Dear Krishna, we're just ordinary village women, which of course was not at all true. We don't know much about Vedic knowledge, which of course was not true. They had in their previous lives been sages. They don't know what's right and what's wrong. They said, we therefore put a question to you. Since you're very learned, you can answer it properly. So wanting Krishna to say with his own mouth that he was ungrateful, they therefore put these questions to him. They said, who's the best person? Who's the most honest person? I said, there's, 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 there's three kinds of people. There's one kind of person who reciprocates whatever love is given to them. Somebody gives them love, they love them in return. Then, the second kind of person, they love people even who don't love them. And the third kind of person, they just don't love. Somebody loves them or somebody doesn't love them, they're ungrateful. They don't show love to anyone. So what they were asking but not asking is, so which type are you? <laughs> they didn't say that. They said, dear Krishna, please explain this matter to us. You are the most knowledgeable. Please consider and give your reply. So what they were asking him really is, do you love us? Are you indifferent to us? Do you have enmity towards us? We can't figure it out. So again, we may find ourselves asking this question. Are you there? (laughs) All right, look, I know with my logic, there's got to be a God. I mean, that doesn't take much brains, really. That there must be somebody who's created everything. The only argument for atheism is why is there suffering in the world. There really isn't any other logical argument for atheism. You know, we have this very simple cloth right here. Very, very simple. But if I said that this just created itself, nobody would believe me. If I said a chimpanzee made it, you wouldn't even believe me. You know, you'd have to be at least probably two or three years old human to make something like this. So to say that something far more complex than this, you know, my finger is a lot more complex than that, that it just, you know, sort of popped out of a chemical soup is not very reasonable. So anybody can understand there has to be a God, but, you know, where is he? Does he answer me? <laughs> and, and, and he seems to answer me in his own way, if he answers at all, his own way in his own time. So here these sort of questions. Well, it seems there's some people give what they get, some people give even if they don't get, and some people don't give no matter what they get. Which one are you, Krishna? 
This is a problem of projecting a material idea onto the spiritual, of looking at material relationships and trying to understand the spiritual in that way, and, and basically confusing the sort of relationships we have in this world with spiritual love. So they were thinking, well, are you the first kind of person? Do you have conditional love? Do you just love us as we love you back? You know, again, many people think of religion or spirituality like that. Well, here's the rules. If I just follow these rules, then I'm going to get bliss, or I'm going to get salvation, or I'm going to get heaven. They said, is is it like that? And they said, no, we don't think you're like that. Because if you were like that, then you would reciprocate with us automatically as we serve you. And you definitely don't do that. In fact, you left us here in the forest in the middle of the night. So it's not that just, you know, we pay our money and you give us the, the goods. It's not like that. They said, okay, well, do you have unconditional love for us? Do you love us even when we don't love you. Um, they said, no, that can't be true either, because otherwise you would have left us in the forest in the middle of the night either. You would have just kept loving us no matter what. Um, and they said, well, maybe you're the third kind of person. Maybe you just don't care. Well, that's not true either, because we see that you, you do things. You do things that make us happy. You do things that make us unhappy. You're not just indifferent. Do you just hate us? No, you often do things that are loving. We often see that, that you act in a loving way. And are you mad at us because we did something wrong? Well, no, we didn't do anything wrong. So we can't figure out what's going on. We can't, we can't figure out what is, your, what is the nature of your love and who are you and how are you reciprocating with us. So here the, the gopis were trying to put Krishna into these, again, material categories. And they saw that he didn't fit into any of those material categories, and they were very bewildered. And this is, again, a big problem in the spiritual path, that we may try to put spiritual things into material categories and and little boxes and and analyze it intellectually and try to figure it out. And then we become bewildered and doubtful and unhappy. So the solution is very much like what the gopis are doing here. They're having a conversation with Krishna. They're not just sitting around being angry at him or confused, and they're not just trying to figure out things with rationality, because love can't be figured out with rationality. It's not, love is not a, a, a really rational thing. It can be explained rationally to some extent, but it's not fully rational. Why we love some people and not others, why we're willing to sacrifice so much for love. So if we really want to understand the nature of love, we need to do what the gopis here are doing. We need to open our hearts to Krishna and have a conversation with him to try to understand from his perspective. So now Krishna answers them and he takes the three types of people that they've described and he expands it into nine. Um, This may be a little difficult to follow. I, I have this, I have a whole multimedia presentation on this with pictures and music and all kinds of stuff, but we weren't able to get the right equipment, so I apologize then to remember all these types may be a little hard. Hope you can make good pictures in your head of what they are. So he's going to give nine different relationships that exist in this world, and then he's going to describe about his relationships. And with each of these nine, some are better than others, and each have their own result. 
All right, so the first, he doesn't break up into more categories. The first, those who reciprocate as they're given. So he says, my dear slender race and gopis, people who show affection for each other only to benefit themselves are actually selfish. So in other words, if I love you just as you love me, there was a, a very famous book about relations between men and women. And in that book, it talked about how do men keep score and how do women keep score. That certain things that women do, men give them one point or ten points or a hundred points. Certain things that men do, women give them one point or ten points. And it was basically advice, you know, how to, how to keep your end of the scorecard high. Why? So that the other person will give you what you want. And it was, it was very much in that mood. It was almost in the mood of going shopping. You know, okay, I want to buy this. How much do I have to spend? And of course, when you go shopping, your aim is to get the highest quality item for the lowest possible price. When you get something on sale, you don't think, oh, the poor merchant, they've lost money on this. Oh, no. You don't see something on sale and go to the shopkeeper, well, can I pay you the full price anyway? You must be losing money on this. So the, the general view of a merchant is how to get more than what I give. At worst, they want it to be equal. The worst scenario is it's got to be equal. And it's fascinating that in the field of psychology, generally love was understood in this way, particularly romantic love between men and women, that most psychologists thought that most love in this world is this merchant exchange, which is why you'll find relationship books that talk about that. Even not just between men and women, you'll talk about you know having an emotional bank account and you've got to make sure you're depositing in that person's emotional bank account and if you're not depositing anything, you can't expect to get anything back. And, and this, is, this is this first type of exchange. I'm going to love people who love me. I'm, I'm watching. How much do you love me? I'm keeping score, I'm keeping track, and I'm going to love you just that much, or a little less. I might try to get your love on sale. So Krishna really just condemns this. His condemnation is very strong. What he says is that such people have no true friendship. Indeed, if they did not expect benefit for themselves, they would not reciprocate. They are just like merchants. They give in loving affairs as much as they get from the other party. Practically, there's no question of love. It is simply self-interested or self-centered business dealing. There is no permanent dharma. Dharma means the essence of something. Sometimes we translate dharma as religion or morality. But we really mean the truthfulness, the essential truthful essence of things. We talk about dharma as what is something's authentic, inherent characteristic. And the ultimate dharma of, of, of everything is, is truth and goodness and love and righteousness. He says there's no dharma. He said there's no permanent dharma and no prema. Prema means love. No dharma and no prema with such persons. Nothing. There's no love, there's no truthfulness, there's no authenticity. He says, in such relationships there's no feeling of friendship and consequently no happiness, nor is there religiousness, since their ulterior motives are obvious. And he says, even those without a tinge of loving affairs are better than these merchants. This is very strong condemnation. 
saying if we have relationships based on keeping score, there's no dharma, there's no love, there's no friendship, there's no happiness, and you'd better have no love at all. That's a very strong condemnation. I mean, how do we know if we're an emergent-type relationship? We generally think that we're a victim. We're generally focused on what the other person's doing for me. I'm keeping score. You know, I, I usually think I'm giving more than I'm getting. I keep track of what I've given. Okay, I gave this, and I gave this, and I gave this, and you only gave this, and you only gave this, and you only gave this. Of course... This happens not only between men and women, it happens between parents and children, and, and between siblings. I mean, in any relationship, it can be this kind of merchant relationship between citizens and a government. You know, it, the mentality is, I've sacrificed so much, and what have you done? And it's also interesting, in these merchant relationships, we tend to compare our sacrifices to the other person's results. We tend to look at my effort and my intention and my sacrifice, not my result. And I look at you. I don't look at your effort and your intention and your sacrifice, but I look at your result. And I generally see that I've given more sacrifice than you've given me result. And, and Krishna says these relationships have no friendship and no happiness. It's a, it's really a miserable, miserable kind of relationship to be in when each party is trying to get the, 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 everything on sale. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get your affection and your care, whatever, on sale, and you're trying to get mine on sale. The only person I'm thinking about in such a relationship is myself. And I will tell you that it's very easy to have this kind of relationship with someone without realizing it's extremely easy to fool yourself and say, I really care about this person, I really care about their happiness. And the truth is, the only person you care about is yourself. And one evidence is that as soon as you think you're giving more than you're getting, you become angry, or you become discouraged, or depressed, or you just don't want to do anything anymore. All right, then he goes to the next category, and here he has two types. So remember the gopi's next category? Those who give even if they don't get. So those who show affection even to those who are indifferent or those who are inimical. And he says here there's two types. So the first type it describes the gopis themselves. And here again he calls them slender-waisted girls, referring to that. Their middles are very beautiful, and as this was their middle person that they described, this middle person is also the most beautiful. So the first, of the, the first subcategory of here are those who are saintly persons those who are what we call in our Hare Krishna movement pure devotees. Because such persons, we were talking about earlier in our questions and answers, such persons are already full with love of God. They're already satisfied in love of God. And therefore, they don't need to get anything from anybody. They don't enter into relationships for the purpose of getting anything because they already have everything. They enter into relationships uh, simply because they're overflowing with love. That when you love Krishna, naturally you love everyone who's part of Krishna. It's just sort of natural. And they love everyone because they're part of Krishna. Whether those people love them or not, whether those people hate them or not, they still love them. Now, by the way, you can't do that artificially. You can't just say, well, I'm just going to give and give and give no matter what I get back. Because if you actually have a merchant mentality, you'll get tired of that very quickly. 
And we see that when people give, 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 and give, and give, and give, and give, and then they explode. I mean, I know one marriage where it took 10 years for that to happen, but when there was an explosion, oh my God, was it an explosion. It was like some volcano, you know, and the whole town was destroyed. And the, the poor other person in the relationship said, oh, I had no idea there was a problem. So, you know, so, so it can't be done on an artificial material level, but you just say, I'm going to give, 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 no matter what I get back, if you really have a merchant mentality. But if somebody is, I mean, it's not that the person has to be totally 100% pure and totally 100% the same, but to whatever degree, it, it's, a, it's a very proportional thing, to whatever degree one feels connected with Krishna, to whatever degree one is satisfied on the spiritual platform, to that degree one is able to have these kinds of relationships where I care about your happiness and I care about giving to you and whether or not you care about my happiness and whether or not you give anything back to me doesn't matter. Even if you hate me, it doesn't matter. Of course, when you have this sort of relationship, it's very satisfying. It's extremely satisfying. It's free because your happiness is not dependent on how the other person uh, treats you. It tends to increase. The more that you give this way, the more it increases. And not always, but sometimes it also turns enemies into friends. So I've had this experience uh, that by loving even people who hated me, uh, those people stopped hating me. It doesn't always happen. You can't control other people. There's nothing you can do to control other people. But uh, sometimes loving your enemy makes it that they're not your enemy anymore. It's quite an interesting situation. Sometimes just loving unconditionally. As I said, you can't artificially love unconditionally. It just doesn't. You can't force it. You can't force other people, and you can't force yourself. Forcing is the antithesis of spirituality. But you can connect with Krishna, which then gives you the facility to love your enemies or to love people who are neutral. And then Krishna gives a second subcategory of those who love without reciprocation, and that is in a family. He says that that family members may sometimes behave like that, especially parents towards children, but we see it sometimes also between brother and sister or uh, between husband and wife or... But especially it's seen among, from parents to children. This is, or you also see it from children to parents. But particularly from the parents to the children, that it's, it's actually pretty common that a parent will love their child even if the child is very inimical, even if the child is a criminal. I remember reading a story about a police chief who was investigating a ser- you know, who would perform serial murders, and it ended up that the serial killer was his own son. He was writing an article that was very moving, and he said, as the police chief, I was very happy that he was imprisoned, but as his father, I still loved him. So I didn't stop loving him, even though he committed such horrible crimes. So this is the... I I remember reading another story about, again, a a person whose child was a criminal, and for his whole life, he was always praying for this boy. Uh, The mother died... Actually, both parents died while the son was still in jail, but the mother died rather early. But the father just, every day, several times a day, he was just praying for this And at one point after both parents had died, the young man was in solitary confinement. And he all of a sudden, basically almost like he heard a voice saying, if you only used your energy for good instead of evil, how wonderful that would be. And it, it, it transformed him. And his conclusion was, that why was he given that grace, that he didn't do anything to deserve that grace, but he felt the prayers, particularly of his father, had brought that grace to him. 
So these stories are not uncommon. It's not uncommon that, I, I mean, I personally know of one family where their son is a heroin addict and he'll go in the house and steal their money and they don't let him in the house if they can avoid it. But they still love him and they still care about him and they still cry about him and they still try to, and they would do anything to help him. They would do anything to help him. I mean, we have stories of parents who will mortgage their house and sell all their possessions to put their delinquent child into some sort of a treatment program. So this isn't as high as those who love unconditionally from the spiritual platform because the reason that family members love like that is due to a bodily identification, that you, you feel like your children, particularly you feel like your children are part of yourself. You feel like they're basically extensions of your own body and your own self, and therefore we love them uh, the way that we love ourselves. But still, it's, it's still there, that this is the, the highest type of love in these two categories, shown by those who are saints and shown by family members, and particularly parents, but can also be other family members. So this is the kind of love that we as a soul should have for Krishna, although it doesn't fully describe uh, our love for Krishna. It doesn't fully describe our love for Krishna. It's, it's a partial description. So on one side, the kind of love that we should have for Krishna, which then enables us to have that love for all other living beings, is where we love without condition. Because we are a part of Krishna. Just like, why do the parents love their children like that? Or again, you may see the children love their parents like that. The parent was neglectful or abusive, but still when they get old, the child will go and take care of them. So why? Because we, we have this connection. We have this sense of oneness, of identity. We have some, some idea that I'm one with my family, because on a biological level, that's the case. But with Krishna, we are actually one with him in spiritual identity. Again, not that I'm God in the sense that I can create universes, but I, I am of the same quality. Mamai vamsar jivaloke I am one in quality with the Lord. I am part of the Lord. And because of that, I can give selfless, selflessly to the Lord because when I give to the Lord, I naturally give to myself also. The example is given that the hands selflessly put food into the mouth. And because when, when the hand puts food into the mouth, that, that food goes through the stomach and nourishes the hand. The hand doesn't have to nourish itself independently. So the seeming selflessness of the hand to feed the mouth is, is not really, because they're, they're part of each other. That's why we act selflessly in a family, not all the time, obviously, but that's why we act selflessly in a family or in a country, because, or in any group which we identify with, because we feel, well, if I serve my mother, if I serve my child, I'm really serving myself. And you, don't, you can forget about serving yourself. So that's really our relationship with Krishna. That when we serve Krishna, we are automatically taking care of our own needs, and therefore we can serve selflessly in the sense that we forget about ourselves. So then Krishna looks at the ungrateful people. And ungrateful people, he looks at four main types, and with the fourth type it has three categories. This will give us altogether nine, so far we've had three so the four types of ungrateful people, those who are, they don't reciprocate, they don't love anybody, they don't hate anybody, or they don't love anybody, don't say they don't hate anybody, they don't love anybody. So the first type is, type is called the Atma Arama. Atma means self, Arama means happiness. Those who find happiness in their self. They're self-satisfied. They don't need to love anybody. They don't need anything. 
So this is the spiritually realized person on the impersonal path. Those who realize their oneness with God, that they are of the same nature of God, and therefore they're happy in their own self, they have nothing to give or get from anybody else. They're spiritually satisfied. So they may not love others. They may not exhibit any love to others. The next category is called the optikama. So these are materialistic people, but they've already attained all of their material desires. Opta means to get, kama means desires. And therefore, again, they have nothing to get from anybody. If you need a very rich person who doesn't need to get any money from anybody. He doesn't care if you employ him or not because he already has all the money that he needs. So it's similar to the Atmarama, that the Atmarama is satisfied from within, but the Atmarama is satisfied within in spiritual bliss. The Atakama feels satisfied in terms of material acquisition, and they feel that they don't need you. And because they, they don't need you, therefore they don't love you. They don't hate you, but they just, they just feel, I already have what I want. Right, then we have the ungrateful persons, the akrita gyan. So these people are so self-absorbed that they just don't even notice that other people do things for them. The reason they don't reciprocate with people who love him, love them, is they can't even be a merchant because they don't even notice. So I'm sure we've had experience with people like this, and hopefully we ourselves haven't been so much like this. This person is foolish. They're not evil, but they're very foolish. They just don't notice. You know, you help them out when they're sick, and you help them out when they're in financial trouble, and they, they just don't even, they're not aware of it. They just, they just kind of think, well, yeah, of course you do that. They, they, they just don't notice. They're very, very absorbed in themselves. And I've met people like this where they're so absorbed in their own life and they're so absorbed in their own problems and they're so absorbed in their own point of view that when you show love to them or you help them in some way, they're not aware of it. And I've, I've been in a space with people acting like this with each other, you know, where one person will be very loving and the second person doesn't even notice. I've done this sometimes when I'm, when I'm counseling couples. You know, and one of them will say, oh, you know, she never does anything loving to me. And then she'll say or do something loving. I'll say, well, she just did that. She just did what? No, they're, they're just not aware of it. They don't, they don't see it. Or they see it and they say, oh, well, yeah, she did that. She always does that. Well, maybe that means she always loves you. <laughs> they just don't see that. So these people are ungrateful, but they're ungrateful uh, due to self-absorption and foolishness. They, they don't... They're not waking up in the morning and saying, you know, I want to hurt somebody else. They just say undeveloped. There's something like a very, very young child. You know, a very, very young child takes whatever you do for them for granted. They're not really aware of how anybody is helping them. And because of that, they tend to be rather ungrateful. You know, a child is one, one and a half, two years old. Yes? Mm -hmm. They don't, they don't really have a sense of how much you're doing for them. They're very absorbed in themselves. Okay, now we have three categories of what's called guru-druha. And guru-druha are people who are actively inimical to those who are kind to them. So they're not indifferent. 
the Atmarama and the Optikama are just indifferent. They're satisfied spiritually or materially. And, and we just looked at the, the foolish person who's unaware, who's ungrateful because they're unaware. But now we have three categories of people who do not love anyone because they're actually inimical. So this is a, a real category of, of, you could say, malice. So there's three types. The first type, Krishna says, is those who have a reason to be hateful. So maybe, maybe someone's done a whole lot for me and they've given me a lot of love, but they also cheated me. But they also lied to me. So they did you know, six wonderful things for me and three terrible things. So I have a reason to want to hurt them or I have a reason to hate them or I have a reason not to love them. So Krishna says this is, this is the, less, the least degree. Now, it's interesting that Krishna himself is not like that, which we'll get to a little later. Then the next type is someone who hates and envies someone without cause who's given to them, especially someone who's protected them. They've only gotten good from this person, and yet, out of envy, they hate them. It's so interesting, because when I used to be a school principal, I noticed a very strange pattern that when you run a school, you will have some people, almost always some of the parents in the school, who will be a problem, just like that. And I tried to think of what parents of the children in the school tended to be problems, and I noticed that most of them were people for whom we had done extra favors. Now, many of the people we had done extra favors for were not inimical. But practically all of the people who were inimical, we had done extra favors for. You understand the difference? Mm-hmm. So we had done extra favors for many people who were not inimical. But if I looked at the group, group who were inimical, pretty much 100% were people who said, oh, could you bend this rule for us? We have this special situation. Oh, could you, oh, could you let my kid do this? Could you? And we had made some exception for them, or we had really gone out of our way for them. Some, some way, we had really gone out of our way. And I was, I was thinking, that doesn't make any sense. Why would giving extra and more to people have them become inimical? And I thought about it. I thought, if I owe somebody something, I may come to hate that person if I don't think I can pay it back. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine recently who told me that her husband borrowed 400,000 euros. She said when he did that, it wasn't a big deal because she said we had that kind of cash flow through our business every month. We thought we could pay it back, but then our business collapsed. So if you owed 400,000 euros, which to me is an almost unfathomable sum of money, and you had no way to pay it back, your means of paying it back collapsed, would you want to see the people to whom you owed the money? I don't think so. And what you might do is you might criticize the people to whom you owe the money. You might hate them. Those people would represent your feelings of guilt and shame and anguish. And so we can end up hating those who've helped us. Especially if we feel, I can't pay them back. 
Then the last subcategory are the people who don't just hate, they actually hurt. So these are the, the worst. Someone's done good for you, and without cause, you not only hate them, but you try to hurt them. And again, I think we've all had experience of people like this in our life. You know, we've done good for them, we've never hurt them, and they hate us, or even they may try to harm us. So the opposite of this tells us something about the other side of love. That love is not only that I give to Krishna selflessly, because I can see that giving to Krishna is ultimately giving to myself, I'm part of Krishna, but also that I accept his protection and his care. It's very unloving to be ungrateful. Ungrateful is I reject the care and love that the other person offers to me. So in real love, I offer to the other unconditionally. I'm not offering to the other as a merchant. I'm offering to them just because I love them, which I can only do if I have spiritual foundation. I cannot do that materially. And I accept their love for me. Therefore, we talk a lot about having Krishna as your shelter. There's a lot of language in the Bhagavad Gita, the Bhagavatam, about having Krishna as your shelter. That, what is that really about? It's really about that I accept in gratitude all the ways in which Krishna is maintaining me, all the ways in which he's protecting me, all the ways in which he's showing his love for me. I lean on him. I give him everything myself, and I accept what he's giving me. This is, this is a real exchange of love. Both need to be there. And when we feel love for someone, we generally feel that person is a shelter. We feel this is a person, you know, as we say, they have my back. They're there for me. So accepting that from Krishna. So again, going through those nine people again, there was the selfish business exchange. There was the two categories of selfless giving, that of a spiritually evolved person and that of a family, like, like parents. Then uh, there was the indifferent person, the person who doesn't love. So that's the self-satisfied spiritualist. That's the materialist with all their desires fulfilled. The ungrateful person who's foolish. The, then the persons who are inimical, those who hate without those who hate with cause, those who hate without cause, and those who harm without cause. So if we want to actually experience Krishna's love for us, we need to also think, what kind of a lover am I? It's, it's quite often that we look at God and you know, where are you? And He may look back at us and say, well, where are you? How are you dealing with me? What kind of loving relationship are you having with me? And it's not a question of destroying the bad or hating the bad even. It's not a question of looking at ourselves and saying, whew, I've been a merchant and I, I hate that. But it's a question of filling ourselves up with the good. So my spiritual master, Shiva Prabhupada, said, if you have a cup of ink, the way to get rid of the ink is start pouring milk into the cup. And if you keep pouring milk into the cup, after a while it'll push out all of the ink. So that is, our, our spiritual process is like that. We want to fill ourselves with this good love of Krishna. So, the gopis then were thinking, okay, well, you still don't seem to fit into any of those categories. You know, we're still not quite sure how you love us. 
So now we're going to go into the last part of Krishna's answer, where he talks about how, in one sense, he's all those, and in one sense, he's none of them. And he's really in a very special category. So he says, okay, well, I'm not the merchant because I don't immediately and in kind reciprocate what everybody does for me automatically like a machine. It's not that you offer Krishna something. You know, I remember seeing one uh, Indian movie like this where somebody offers some incense in the temple and then they immediately get, you know, like $1,000. <laughs> so the Krishna says, I'm not in the merchant category because I don't, res- I don't respond like that. It's not that you just do this and this and this for me and okay, I'm going to do this and this and this for you like a business exchange. And he says, I'm not really in the second category either of just giving to people even if uh, they don't love me, even if they're indifferent or they're inimical, because I do show special favor for those who come to me. I don't reveal myself to materialistic persons who aren't interested in me. And he said, one should not think that I'm present only if I openly respond. He said, actually, I'm always present. And he said, in another sense, I am reciprocating. He says, as people surrender unto me, I do record them, reward them accordingly. He says, so I do reciprocate with people's love, just not in some automatic merchant way. And also, in one sense, I do give even to inimical people because the sun is shining on everyone and the water is flowing for everyone. And no matter if you can be a, the most evil person and you still... I get your food and you get your body and everything. So he says, in a sense, I'm both of those people. Because, you know, I, I, I do reciprocate according to your surrender and your love. And I do give to everyone whether they reciprocate or not. And he says, well, I'm also, I'm not really Atmarami. I'm not just self-satisfied, absorbed in some impersonal meditation. Because I'm attracted by your love for me. I'm attracted by your prayers. I'm not just happy in myself. And I'm not indifferent to anybody, to anyone's needs. It's not that I just don't care. In fact, I'm fulfilling everyone's desires. So you can't say that I'm an Atmarama who just, you know, oh, okay, I have everything I need. Here I am, God, and I'm self-satisfied. Although we refer to Krishna as Atmarama, that he's satisfied in himself. Still, he says, I, I'm, I'm attracted to those who love me. I'm attracted to them. I'm interested in them. And he said, I'm not really... Optikama, that I have, again, unlimited opulences, like the materialist who has enough wealth and relationships. He says, in one sense, again, I am. I have enough wealth and relationships and everything as God that I don't need anyone. But yet, I so much love, I so much savor and enjoy a reciprocation of love between myself and my devotees. I really enjoy that, even though I don't need it. I so much enjoy when, when someone offers me a flower, although I own all the flowers already. And I'm certainly not uh, a foolish person who doesn't know what anyone gives me. And I'm not ungrateful, because if someone even says my name once, then I reciprocate with them. So we have this story of a Jamil, who had, had been a very, very spiritual person as a young man, and then due to falling into bad company, he became a criminal. And at the end of his life, just simply he called out Krishna's name one time. And from that, he, he didn't have to suffer for his bad karma. 
he got a so saintly association, he eventually became a saintly perfected soul. So Krishna is so grateful that if you just offer him one flower and one little bit of water and just call his name one time, that he becomes internally, it, it has a feeling of eternal debt to that person. So he says, all right, well, I don't, I don't really fit into any of these categories, really all of these, and none of them. I'm not a merchant, yet I perfectly reciprocate. I don't show myself to the materialistic people, yet I provide for everyone, whether they love me or hate me. I'm not just self-satisfied. I am self-satisfied, but I'm not just self-satisfied. I'm attracted to my devotees. And I'm not ungrateful because I give to people even who give me only a little bit. So why is it then that I don't immediately reciprocate with persons the way that they expect or want? So here Krishna talks about three kinds of devotees. He said, well, there's devotees who haven't yet attained perfection. There's devotees who haven't yet attained love for God. He said, for those people, I want their worship to become perfect and I want them to develop humility. That if those who haven't developed love think, oh, I can just call for Krishna whenever I want, and there he is. I just say, Krishna, and there he is standing in front of me. Yes, what would you like me to do? Without humility, there can't be depth of love. Humility basically means I don't deserve. The love I'm getting from this other person is a free, voluntary gift. A lot of the merchant mentality is based on deserve. I think, well, I'm your wife. I deserve for you to do this. And therefore, you know, when you cut the grass and you paint the door, I don't, I just think so. That's what you're supposed to do with the husband. That's, that's pride. I'm so great, I'm so wonderful, that you're supposed to cut the lawn for me. You're supposed to cook the dinner for me. You're supposed to, you know, whatever. You can't, you can't have love in those relationships. If I think you're supposed to do this for me, because I'm this. And, and we can't enjoy anything. I mean, you can see how much of a merchant mentality this is. Just like if I have 20 euros and I buy something worth 20 euros, is it a big deal? not a big deal, right? If I have 20 euros and I buy something worth 5 euros, I'm really unhappy. I bring it home. Look what I got. Oh, you know, how much did you pay for that? 20 euros. It's only worth 5. I bought it for 5 over there. Oh, man. If I spend 20 euros, I get something I find that is worth 100 euros, then I'm happy. So my happiness is in inverse proportion to my feeling of deservedness. My happiness is in inverse proportion to my feeling of deservedness. The more I think I deserve something, the less I'm capable of enjoying it. It's actually impossible to enjoy something you feel that you deserve. And when you feel that you haven't deserved something, you can enjoy it unlimitedly. It's pretty amazing. So in order to really have this love, because this love goes both ways, my giving to Krishna selflessly and my relishing what he gives to me. Now, I can't relish what Krishna gives to me if I think I've earned it. I won't relish it. I won't enjoy it. I won't even notice it. So Krishna doesn't want to give the immature spiritual practitioner the idea that they've earned it. And therefore, he withholds for a while until the person has developed abject humility. And Krishna says to think, 
Everything I've done has been useless because I'm an offender and could not get a drop of mercy. I'm most unfortunate. I'm chanting, I'm meditating, I'm doing all these things, and where is Krishna? I must be so fallen. He says, constantly thinking in this way, their devotion grows predominantly, devoid of lust and anger. Seeing them suffer in lonely places, I endure pain a thousand times more than theirs. What can I do? Their sincere prayers amaze me, but their hot tears scorch my heart, and their faint of despair causes me to swoon. Still, for their sake, I wait in silence to ripen their love. So I think we've all experienced, if you pick the fruit too soon, it's not going to be what you want. So for those aspiring to spiritual life, Krishna reciprocates, uh, not proportionately for a while. He reciprocates a little here and there for a while to ripen that love. Then for the devotees who have already attained love, he said, I don't always immediately respond or show myself because I want to intensify that attachment. So, of course, this is what we want. We all want a love that keeps increasing more and more and more. That's what we're all looking for. We're all looking for some relationship where our loving feelings increase. So Krishna says, for those who have already attained love, so I may not always reciprocate so that in separation the love grows stronger. He said that's like a poor person who gets a lot of wealth and then loses it and becomes totally absorbed. Then he says, you gopis, you're not in either of those categories. He said, you're not a person, you're not an immature practitioner, nor are you even someone who's attained love of God. You are the limit of devotees. Your love cannot cannot be increased. You have unlimited love. And then he says, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have left you. He said, actually, the reason that I left you was to show everyone else how much love you have for me, to glorify your love, so that everyone else could see that even after so long, when you finally attained me, and then I left you, you didn't stop loving, that your love had no element of merchant quality, no element of ungratefulness, and no element of selfishness, that your love was the highest. I left you simply to glorify you. And then the gopis started thinking, oh, Krishna left us for a little while just to glorify us, and we asked him these questions just to criticize him. (laughs) They said, so he has defeated us. So this is our, our meditation. Our meditation is on how much Krishna does love us and to try to develop this kind of spiritual love. That is the essence of bhakti yoga, is to love Krishna selflessly for his happiness, to become happy in his happiness, and to lean on him, to take the shelter that he does give us, to take the, the many ways. You know, we tend to focus on what's wrong in our lives. It's not unusual for someone to come to me and say, my whole life has fallen apart. And I look at them and I say, are you walking? Yes. Can you see? Yes. Do you have food to eat? Yes. So then I'm sorry, your whole life is not falling apart. It's very, it's very easy for us to, to see what's wrong in our lives and focus on that and not, not see the gifts that we're given. So love for Krishna goes in both directions. That I give Krishna everything, ultimately, at least. I give Krishna everything, not in the merchant sense, 
but I give Krishna everything uh, like, a, like a parent would give to their child in that kind of love. And then I notice what Krishna's giving me. I don't want to be like this foolish person who just is so self-absorbed, they don't notice. I notice all the wonderful things that Krishna's giving me, and I lean on him, and I take shelter of him, and I, I trust that he has my back, that even if the whole world turns against me, that Krishna has my back, that he's there for me, that he's never going to leave me, and that he loves me more than millions and millions and millions of parents all put together. And then, when I do that, I can, then I become the proper lover. And at that point, I can understand what is Krishna's love for me. And at that point, I will see that his reciprocation with me is truly perfect. So, sorry, this was a little long, but you said till like 3.15, so I think we're doing it. Do we have time for questions, or should we just end here? Like 15 minutes, maybe? 10, 15 minutes? Okay. Did you do okay with the translation? Many times you were just sitting there. I was talking so slowly. It's always difficult with this because if I talk slowly enough for translation, some people start to feel tired. Mm-hmm. You know, I have I have to speak at like one tenth speed, and then I see people get tired. You want to speak slowly enough for the translation. You were translating there also. Yes. Was I? Was it okay for you? You do it regularly, so you're custom, okay. <laughs> so does anyone have any questions or comments? Or Yes. Was it a mistake of the gopi when they feel uh, to, to have the, the big chance of be, being loved by Krishna? Oh, did they make a mistake to feel yeah. that they were very fortunate? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes and no. They're really past any possibility of making a mistake. There, as, as Krishna says at the end, you, you know, you're not ordinary persons, you're not even ordinary among the, the devotees. Uh, so it was more that, that Krishna simply used that as an excuse. But you do see that, again, as soon as you feel you deserve, love goes away. So as soon as there's some feeling of, you know, wow. Yes, brother, when she was left up because Ah. Well, this, this again, we, we understand these things in two ways. We understand these things as a lesson for, for those of us who are not yet perfect. And we understand them on their platform as varieties of taste and perfected love. So in perfected spiritual love, everything is not vanilla. Just like among ordinary ice cream, you can get pistachio and strawberry and butterscotch pecan. It's not just vanilla. So the, the relationships between the perfected beings and Krishna is full of all different sorts of emotions. So they have something which we call pride. It can't be pride as we understand it because pride is the antithesis of spirituality. So it can't be. Or you could think of it the other way, that's the real thing, and what we call pride here is, is, is a messed up reflection of it. So what, all of the emotions that they feel 
are all varieties of, of pleasure and varieties of giving. There's, there's no selfishness, there's no malice. But it comes in varieties, otherwise it's boring. You know, this concept of ultimate spiritual perfection as just becoming one with the light. You know, you can do that. That Krishna has a light, and you can become one with that light. But we say, Avasudabhudiya, that one who becomes one with the light hasn't reached the total perfection, and will probably not stay there eternally. Because it's not very satisfying. You know, it's like if you have a really bad week at work. Oh, it's just terrible. And there was so much fighting in your family, and just, you know, and your stocks went down, and everything's just miserable. So you get on a plane, and you fly to Tahiti, and you just go in the ocean and the sun, and just... <sighs> but do you want to stay there? Do you just want to stay floating in the ocean? After a while, yeah, I mean, I remember when I was 16, I went with a youth group to Canada. We took a bicycle tour in the Jasper Banff National Park. Beautiful. We were there in the Rocky Mountains, and the water there is so clean, you can drink it. It's absolutely gorgeous, peaceful place. At one point, we came to Lake Louise, which is a glacial lake. It's a lake formed by melting glacial ice, and there's very, very pure, fresh water, completely clear, very cold water also, you know, just... It's probably only like one or two degrees Celsius. And, it, and I remember I, I took a boat out to an... I went by myself in a boat, a canoe, I think, to an island in the center of Lake Louise. And I was just sitting there, and I was doing some meditation there, and I thought, I could just stay here forever, just sit on this island with this clear water and meditating. And after, I don't know how long it was, maybe an hour... I thought, you know, I couldn't do this forever. I thought, I, I, I wouldn't want to just sit here on this island forever, looking at the beautiful water and the pine trees and the mountains. And, you know, I miss my friends. I wouldn't want to sit here wearing the same clothes forever. I remember thinking that specifically. Because when we were going through the mountains, we only could bring like a few, I mean, now I travel and that's different. I'm in a different place now, but anyway. At that time, we only had like three sets of clothes, which is all I have now. But and I remember thinking, at that time, when I was 16, a little different place than I am now. And I remember thinking, I wouldn't want to wear just these three sets of clothes all the time. I want to wear something nice. I want to be with my friends. I want to go places. It was, it was quite a shock to me, really, because I had always, always, my whole life, been looking for, for spiritual perfection. I really felt that I could find it on that island, and it was... It was sort of a, a blow to me. That, well, that's not really what I want. So what we, what we ultimately want is not just peace. We don't want just peace and bliss. You know. <laughs> we want variety. We want excitement. We, we want safe excitement, but we want excitement. We want adventure. We want surprise. We, we, we want uncertainty. We want to watch a movie without knowing how it's going to end. We get mad or something. It ends like this. Ah, oh, you spoiled everything. <laughs> you know, we, they, they even say in, in normal human relationships, the one thing that kills love is if you feel you know everything about the other person. There's no more surprises. 
we, we want surprises. Krishna likes surprises. Krishna is always expanding. Srila Prabhupada said that Krishna expands and then his knowledge of himself expands and then he expands some more. So there's always more of him than he knows about himself. <laughs> so the, my point is that there's varieties and that the, the stories we hear about these spiritual relationships that have elements which in our world are negative, such as pride, are really varieties of, of love. I mean, in this, immaterially speaking, even the nice things are not so nice. Even the material joy is not pure. Srila Prabhupada talks about like rice pudding mixed with sand. You know, so even our material happiness, our material joy, there, there's, it's, there's something not right about it. <laughs> What to speak of all of these other things. But you can see how in this world we try to get happiness in so many ways. We try to get happiness through fear, right? Through uncertainty. Through, yes? So those have their original, kind of like Plato's cave, where what we're experiencing here is a, it's a shadow. Or it's a reflection. It's a, but they, they, it exists in its pure form. So from that perspective, no, the gopis went it all wrong. They were completely properly situated that yes, I'm the most fortunate person, I finally achieved my heart's desire and there was no fault at all. From the other perspective of our of someone like me learning from them, then I learned I had better be very, very careful. That whatever gifts Krishna gives me, whatever reciprocation Krishna gives me, never to think, oh, I've gotten Krishna's mercy. I'm an elevated soul. Uh, at least there was, I mean, I'm sure many, many more times than once, but at least one time I really made that mistake in a big way. It was very bad. Where I, I got some really sweetness from Krishna, and I thought, oh, I'm special now. I'm spiritually advanced. And uh, the result of that was not very pretty. And I, I, I really was very sorry later that I had thought like that. I realized that, you know, it wasn't that I was some special person, it was just that Krishna was particularly uh, kind to me. I I resolved, you know, not that I fully followed it, but anyway, I resolved from that. that Don't don't take Krishna's gifts for granted and don't ever think that you deserve them. Don't don't think in a merchant kind of way. It's just, it's not not what this is about. It's not about keeping score. It's not about being a merchant. Not about, oh, now I've achieved it. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.